May God speak to you through today's message from Senior Pastor Mike McGowan. Good morning and welcome to Parkway Fellowship. I am so glad that you're here today because today we're kicking off a brand new series that I'm very, very, very excited about. Um, As some of you know, I read from the book of Proverbs every single day. Now, why? Because I need wisdom to make it through life, right? I, I, I need wisdom to help me as a dad to be the dad that God wants me to be because my kids are growing up in a world that is very different from the world I grew up in and much more difficult. I need God's wisdom to be the husband that God wants me to be because if I want to have a healthy marriage, I, 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 look, I'm at least 50% of the solution. And most of the time, I'm actually more than 50% of the problem. So like, I need some wisdom to like, help navigate all of that. But here's the thing. I really don't need the wisdom that comes from you know, like an inspirational book that you could buy at the gift shop at Cracker Barrel. Okay, That's not what I need. I need God's wisdom. I need his wisdom to help me through because God's the one who set up this world. God is the one who created marriage. God is the one who gave me my kids. God is the one who knows how to best deal with these problems, these things that happen in this world. And so since all that is true, doesn't it make sense that he would be the first and best source of wisdom? Well, yeah. So let me pose this question. If we knew that God's wisdom about marriage was written down, wouldn't we want that? If we knew that God's wisdom about parenting was written down, okay, wouldn't we want that? If we knew that God's wisdom about character qualities, you know, like, like envy and anger, or about, um, you know, just practical issues like debt and alcohol overconsumption, if we knew all that was written down, wouldn't we want that? Well, of course we would. So in this series, we're going to look at the wisdom that God has written down for us. And the best place to look for that is in a book of the Bible called Proverbs. Now, the majority of the book of Proverbs was written by King Solomon. And God gave King Solomon supernatural godly wisdom. And you can read about how God did that in 2 Chronicles chapter 1, where God appears to Solomon and gives him great, great wisdom. Now, Solomon would have written down wisdom in the form of Proverbs, and he would have recorded those Proverbs on individual scrolls. Now, over time, all of these individual scrolls were compiled into one really big scroll that we know now as the book of Proverbs. But in the midst of the book of Proverbs, there is one section called the sayings of the wise. It's a collection of 30 Proverbs that could best be described as a, you know, a, a best of the entire book. And so in this series, we're going to look at some of these 
30 sayings of the wise. Now, let me say this. We're not going to have the opportunity to look at all 30 of the sayings. So each week, we'll take two or three sayings, and we're going to dive right in. And secondly, each week, um, each message is going to feel kind of like a, a like it's going to contain two or three short standalone messages, because the truth is, each of these sayings are short standalone sayings. So, before we get into it, there's really two things we need to understand before we look at any of these sayings. So go ahead and pull out your message notes. These are your, these are your first fill-ins. First thing we need to understand is this, is that we view these sayings of the wise from the other side of the resurrection. We view them from the other side of the resurrection. See, we've got a distinct advantage over the people in Solomon's time because they viewed their relationship with God essentially as obey God and be blessed or disobey God and be cursed. That is just how they thought of it. But we have the advantage of being on the other side of the resurrection of Christ. See, when Jesus was raised to life, that allows us to have a relationship with God that's based on our faith and not on our performance. See, God doesn't love us more if we do the right things, and he doesn't love us less if we do the wrong things. See, when Jesus rose from the dead, his forgiveness provided, I mean, sorry, his, his resurrection and death provided forgiveness for all of our sins even the ones we haven't committed yet. So when we sin, we're already forgiven. And when we do good, we already have as much of God's love as we're ever gonna have. Because his love does not change and it is already at its height. So we can't earn God's love and we don't deserve any more of his love. It never changes. So uh, let me just say it like this. God loves you not based on what you do, but on what Jesus has done. Okay? God loves you not based on what you do, but on what Jesus has done. And that, that's essentially the message of Christianity, that you can't do enough good works in order to earn your way to heaven or to please God. And the fact that Jesus was willing to die for you before you ever did a thing is proof that your good deeds are not a factor. They're not even a factor in God's love for you. And the reason that matters is because we don't follow God's commands and we don't follow these Proverbs in an effort to try to earn God's love. The reason we follow God's commands in these Proverbs is to, is to put on display how much we love God back. Does that make sense? And so that's essentially the essence of the good news and how to get to heaven. And that is this, that you don't get to heaven based on anything that you do, okay? You only get to heaven based on what Jesus has done. And your good deeds, they don't. They don't provide your salvation, um, they don't add to your salvation, and they don't maintain your salvation, okay? Your good deeds are only an expression of how much you love God back. And that is incredibly liberating. It's incredibly freeing because 
We don't have to perform to earn God's love. And now, the people of Solomon's day, they didn't understand that. Okay, now, it was still true, but they didn't understand it because they were on that side of the resurrection. But now that we're on this side of the resurrection, it's so much clearer to us. Okay. Second thing we need to understand before we dive into this is that these are proverbs, not commands. These are proverbs. They're not commands. And what I mean by that is that these sayings of the wise describe what is generally true about life. So, uh, you know, there's always expectations, but if we will follow these sayings, then generally speaking, the good results that are shown in these Proverbs will generally come to pass in our lives. But they're not commands. These aren't commands. So you know what? If you choose to ignore these things and do whatever you want to, that's fine. You're not breaking God's law. But you are unwise. That's what it's saying. So let's see how the passage about the sayings of the wise opens up. In Proverbs chapter 22, verse 17, the Bible says this. It says, pay attention and listen to the sayings of the wise. Apply your heart to what I teach, for it is pleasing when you keep them in your heart and have all of them ready on your lips. So that your trust may be in the Lord, I teach you today, even you. Have I not written 30 sayings for you, sayings of counsel and knowledge, teaching you true and reliable words so that you can give sound answers to him who sent you? <coughs> so, what is God saying to me through these sayings of the wise? What's he saying to me? Well, we're going to actually start with saying number two out of the 30. We're going to start with saying number two because, like I said, we don't have time to go through all 30 of the sayings. And as I was putting this together, I was really praying. I was saying, Lord, what is it that you want to say to us? And so we'll begin with actually saying number two, and then we'll begin working our way through these. So saying number two of the sayings of the wise essentially says this, and this is your fill-in, that who I choose is who I become. Who I choose is who I become. Here's what this proverb says in chapter 22, beginning of verse 24. It says this, it says, Do not make friends with a hot-tempered person. Do not associate with one easily angered. Or you may learn their ways and get yourself ensnared. Now look, this seems pretty straightforward, right? That... If I hang around with someone who's a hothead, I'm probably going to pick up on some of those traits and I'm going to become a hothead myself, right? And, and I think all of us have probably experienced that to some degree. You know, we, we can walk into a conversation, you know, just feeling fine about life. But then that other person starts in on something. You know, we're beginning to, we're at the very front end of the 2016 election cycle. And so, you know, maybe that person has gotten all riled up about some things in politics. And, you know, they're just like, you know what? Can you believe the audacity of that politician to do that? 
Or, I can't believe that that person is going to run for president. Or, you know what, I would never vote for that candidate because, you know, blah, 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 blah. And, you know, pretty soon after a while, like, we're all riled up about it. And we're all incensed about this. And we're ready to hit the campaign trail or start our own super PAC or something like that. <laughs> I'm telling you. And it, it, honestly, it's kind of funny how just talking to someone can get us all riled up about the political process. But what's not so funny is that after hanging out with someone for a period of months, that we begin to curse more when we get mad because that's what they do when they get mad. Or we begin to develop a really short fuse when we get upset because the people we're hanging around have a short fuse when they get upset. Or somehow we've developed a thought that it is okay to throw something when we get mad because they've told us stories about how they throw things when they get mad and somehow it's okay. See, I'm telling you. Who you choose to hang out with is who you become. And again, I think we've all seen that and experienced that at some level, okay? But there's a deeper reason why this proverb makes the top 30. See, we never think of ourselves as the negative influence. For instance, a number of years ago, I was driving down the road and like this guy just like pulled out right in front of me. And I mean, I had to slam on the brakes, you know, and when I remember when I did, I yelled out, I was like, idiot, what do you think you're doing? I don't know why we all feel like this, like, freedom to just say whatever we want in the car, like, in traffic. I don't know, like, the windows are up. I mean, it's not like they can hear us, right? But we just feel free to say whatever we want. I mean, it's not like that even if they could hear us, that they're going to pull over to the side of the road and go, you know what? I am an idiot. <laughs> and I am going to mend my driving ways. That's not going to happen, right? All right, so anyway... A few weeks later, I'm driving down the road again, and if almost the same thing didn't happen, like this guy pulls out right in front of me, and I mean, I slam on the brakes to try to avoid hitting him, and then from the back seat, yeah, you know where this is going, yeah, from the back seat, I hear my, my at that time, six-year-old son go, idiot, who do you think you are? And I'm not kidding you, like Amy, my wife, she shot me a look, and I just thought, oh, Lord, it'd be better if I got in the accident, I think, you know? <laughs> but you know what? Get this. That was this proverb coming true in that moment. Because I was the one who was a negative influence on my kids. You see, who I choose to be is who I become in their eyes. And it's true for you too. See, get this. This proverb isn't just true for us. It's true about us. Who I choose is who I become. And who I choose to hang around with as close friends, that's who I become. And who I choose to be is who I become in the eyes of my kids.
Look, and while this saying specifically names anger, it, it expands beyond anger because the truth is you pick up bad traits from other people that you're around, right? I mean, you ever, when, when you're around someone who's sarcastic, like, don't you tend to become more sarcastic? When you're around someone who's negative, don't you tend to become more negative? And the same is true if you're hanging around people who are, you know, judgmental or material, materialistic or, you know, overly flirtatious. The truth is, who you choose to be around is who you become. And I'm telling you, once you allow the Lord to apply this specific saying of the wise to your life, look, it's at that point that you really begin to see the depth of wisdom that's there. And that's really true of most of these Proverbs. Once you begin to apply them to your life, it's at that point that you see how deep they really are. And it's also at that same moment that you become so grateful to God that he loves you and he loves your kids and your grandkids enough to give you these sayings so that, you, he, so that he can change you. So that you don't inadvertently pass on these things to your kids or your, your, grand, your grandkids that you really don't want to pass on. Okay, let's move on to the next thing. This is saying number three. Saying number three, uh, God's essentially saying to us this. He says, get away from dead and don't go back. Get away from dead and don't go back. Saying number three comes from Proverbs chapter 22, beginning in verse 26. And he says this, he says, do not be one who shakes hands in pledge or puts up security for debts. If you lack the means to pay, your very bed will be snatched from under you. Now, I want you to circle a couple things. I want you to circle shakes hands in pledge, and I want you to circle puts up security. And the reason I'm having you circle both of those because these are the two components that most often lead people into debt. The first part of shake hands in pledge, you know, what's that mean? It, it's essentially to make any agreement to borrow money with a pledge to pay it back. Okay, like that's car debt, that's consumer loans, that's credit cards, anything that you do that where you acquire debt and, you know, just like with a handshake, you promise to pay it back. That's what he's talking about there. Now, the second part I had in your circle where it says put up security for debt, okay, that's co-signing for a loan. That's co-signing for a loan. Look, here's the deal. Let me just say this. If you co-sign for a loan, even if it's a loan for your kids, you need to be willing and prepared to lose whatever collateral you put up for that loan. Because here's the thing, if, you know, these people who, like, they do loans, like, they look at loans all day, every day. And if they look at, you know, your son or your daughter or your friends, they look at their financial situation and they say, I have very serious doubts that this person is going to be able to pay back this debt, then just be prepared. You are probably going to lose your collateral. Now look, here's the thing. If you're okay with that, no big deal. 
But let me offer you a different solution. If you can afford to do it, just give them the money. Just give it to them. Because then if they pay it back, hey, that's great. But if instead you co-sign for this loan and they default and they don't pay you back and you lose your collateral, then you have sown resentment and bitterness into your relationship. So you know what? Don't do that. Just give them the money. And if they pay you back, awesome. Then go on that cruise or you know, do whatever it is that you're going to do. And if they don't pay you back, then it's no big deal because it was a gift. It was a gift. So look, follow what God says. Listen to God's wisdom here and don't co-sign alone. All right? Now, like the other sayings, there is more here than meets the eye. Okay? So a couple things on that. First off, God doesn't actually say that debt's wrong. God gives us strong warnings about debt, but he stops short of saying that debt is wrong. Because, look, God knows what you and I both know, that sometimes in life, you have to go into debt. Now, most of the time, we don't really have to go into debt, but we just choose to because we don't want to wait and save for whatever it is that we need to wait and save for. We just choose to go into debt. But it's not wrong. And God doesn't say it's wrong. Now, the second thing is hidden in the second half of the verse, which says, if you lack the means to pay, your very bed will be snatched from under you. Okay? What God is saying here, he's saying, debt creates a huge amount of insecurity. Because, you know, if you lose your job or someone has a health issue or there's a downturn in the market or something happens that's, you know, beyond your control or, you know, beyond what you can predict, then you stand to lose a lot. So what God's saying, he's saying, hey, that's not wrong, but you need to understand it creates a huge amount of insecurity. For instance, for those of you that, that have been able to do this, you remember what it felt like when you finally paid off that car note? When you wrote that last check, you made that last online payment, you remember what that felt like? Oh, that felt good. Now listen, you've made other purchases, other big purchases, purchases before. Some of them were even more money than that. So why didn't those purchases feel so good? And you made 59 other car payments in that exact same amount. How come those payments didn't feel nearly as good as number 60? Well, I'll tell you why. The reason is, is because that final payment felt so good because that final payment eliminated the insecurity that was caused by debt. And when that insecurity was gone, I'm telling you, you felt just so much better. There is just something about debt that creates insecurity in the heart. And God knows that. And so God says, he's like, hey, get away from debt as fast as you can. And once you do, don't be in a hurry to get back into debt again. So next time, save up for that car. Or save up a whole lot more so that you don't have to borrow nearly as much and you can pay it off that much quicker. Because God knows debt 
creates insecurity. And the way that wise people handle debt is they get out of debt as fast as they can, and then they're not in a hurry to get back into debt again. Look, here's the thing. God gives to you and to me these sayings of the wise because he loves us. And he loves your kids, and he loves your grandkids, and he loves the generations that are going to come on down the line in your family. And he loves you so much that he gives you these sayings of the wise. Not so that you can earn his love, you already have his love, because remember, we're on this side of the resurrection. But he gives you these things because God doesn't want you to have to struggle through these issues, and he doesn't want your kids to struggle, and he doesn't want you to pass these things on to your kids. And so he wants you to live a life that is free of these struggles and set your kids up for success. And so he gives us these sayings of the wise. And listen, God is inviting you to follow him by following these proverbs. So let's take some steps to making that a reality. So find your connection card and let's begin taking some next steps to putting these things into practice in our lives. For you, maybe it's this first next step. I will pray the prayer to become a Christ follower today for the first time in my life. It starts there. You have to become a Christ follower first and foremost. See, remember, Jesus died because he loves you and he offers you his forgiveness. You have to accept it. There's a sample prayer at the bottom of your message notes. If you've never prayed that prayer before to become a Christ follower, oh, please pray it, pray it today and take this first next step. Number two, I will choose my close friends carefully, avoiding hot-tempered people. Would you make that commitment? Number three, I'm asking God to work on my temper or my blank. You know, maybe there's a different character quality you know God's been tapping on the shoulder about for months. Would you just pencil that in, whatever that character quality is? Number four, I will begin the process of getting myself out of debt. And I want to recommend a resource to you. It's total, a book called Total Money Makeover by Dave Ramsey. In it, he outlines a specific plan for getting out of debt, and I'm telling you, it works. It has led so many families in our church to get out of debt. So if you haven't picked that up, do that. Number five, I will pray and ask God if it's okay before I take on any future debt. Would you do that? Number six, this week, I will read through the 30 sayings of the wise in Proverbs twenty-two nineteen through twenty-four twenty-two. Now look, here's the thing. When you read these sayings of the wise, some of them you're going to go, wow, that's amazing. Others you're going to go, well, okay. But here's the thing. You do not understand the depth of those sayings until you begin to apply them to your life. And then your eyes are open. So read through it and ask God to use it to begin to prepare your heart for next week. Number seven, I commit to meet with my spring small group over the summer. Or number eight, sign me up for the on-campus small group experience and we'll send you an RSVP email with the specific dates. And look, here's the thing. If you already know because of your travel this summer, you're only, you're only going to make one or two of them, that's fine. Sign up. It's perfectly fine. These are all very standalone small groups, but I want to tell you, they're going to be lights out. So make sure you're a part of that. 
I'm going to give you a chance to pray silently to God and ask him to help you follow through with these next steps. So right now, I want everybody to bow your head, close your eyes, and if you're ready to pray the prayer to become a Christ follower, this is your chance. But I want to give everybody a few moments to pray silently to God about the next steps you've taken. Heavenly Father, I want to say thank you for these sayings of the wise. Thank you that you care about the practical things in our lives so much that you give us these to help us so that we don't have to struggle. And I pray that you would give us the wisdom to follow what you say. And I ask that you would help us to not pass some of these things on to the next generation and you protect our kids and our grandkids. And I also ask that you would bring us back safely next week so that we can hear more. And I ask you to do it in the incredible name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Thank you for taking the time to listen to this message. For more information about Parkway Fellowship, find us online at parkwayfellowship.com or facebook.com slash parkwayfellowship. You can also download our mobile app for access to the most recent messages, video content, and much more. It is available both in the Apple App Store and Android's Google Play.